I have to say, so a few days ago, I celebrated my 40th. And so I feel like, yeah, some parts of life are history. It's cool. Like, it means you're wiser. Hi, this is Catherine Lasota, host of the LIC Reading Series, a monthly event at LIC Bar in Long Island City, Queens. In this episode of our podcast, you're going to hear the panel discussion from our May 8th, 2018 event, which was a collaboration with the Feminist Press and three of their amazing writers, Chaya Babu, YZ Chin, and Bridgette Davis. Remember in the panel discussion, we also bring out the magic silver box at LIC Reading Series, which is a box that I share with the audience for them to put questions into. And then if I choose that question during the panel discussion, that audience member wins a fabulous prize. So let's jump on into LIC Bar, where we're about to kick off our panel discussion from May 8, 2018, with feminist press authors Chaya Babu, YZ Chin, and Bridgette Davis. Something that was, what is it, Owen YZ's bio, that you work by day as a software engineer and write by night, um, makes you sound like such a superhero. Yeah. <laughs> I kind of love it. So I thought maybe we could just start off by saying, okay, so we all live in New York here, right? We all have many things that we do. How do you keep writing a priority in your life? Because I think it's something a lot of writers struggle with at different times in their lives. And anyone can take that. Yeah, I I, I think we were just talking about Mm -hmm. that before. Um, But yeah, I... The, the book I wrote when I was working entirely full-time in the in the tech industry. Um, and so, was, yeah, actually really writing at night and on weekends. But, you know, by weekend didn't sound as cool. So I just <laughs> stuck with the superhero thing. Yeah. The long night. Right. Like the secret, you know, it would sound like the secret to writing a book is like having no life. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, yeah, it, it took a really, I think the secret is really just it takes a long time. Um, the book took five or six years, and it was just very slow going. Um, but yeah, so I recently actually transitioned from part time to sorry, from full time to part time. So maybe I should update the description. Um, but I really like it. Yeah, it, yeah. yeah. right. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm still doing both, just not strictly the day night division anymore. <laughs> yeah. Congrats on that transition. That's <laughs> Thank awesome. Thank you. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah. So you know. Secret is be patient, take your time, and give yourself room. How oh, do you, how oh. do you prioritize writing? I know you're busy. Oh, you have you, no idea. Te- teaches, uh, works on her writing, uh, keeps running multiple reading series over time. I have an issue. Yeah. You have an issue? I have an issue. So how do you prioritize your writing? starting reading series. Yeah. It's a thing. It's a thing. I'm, I'm, there's, there has to be a group for that. <laughs> Please invite me. <laughs> you, I have two kids. Did did I mention that? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, you need well, to answer question. this. How do you get? How do you get your writing done? How do you prioritize it? You how do you make sure it happens? Not like what's your secret? Because no, you know no, it's no. hard. But no, like, how do you? Yeah. Yeah. From the time they were very little, they were like, like, kids, like mommy's writing. <laughs> Trained them. I train them. <laughs> and also, I am one of those people who believes that if you just show up to the work and do it, eventually it gets done. And some days, 
I'm a morning person, so I love it. Perfectly great day for me is to be up at 4.30. Wow. And writing for two or three hours while the house is quiet, before the day starts, yay. And some days that happens. Most days it doesn't. <laughs> and But it's okay. If I get 45 minutes, I take it. And I, you know, my kids are older now. They're teenagers. But my whole life with children has been about writing in the mornings. Before they came, I wrote, I wrote whenever I wanted to. But I actually have found that the discipline of knowing this is all I have has really shaped how I became a writer, a real writer. I feel like I came into my own as a writer once I had kids because of that. And it taught me that, hey, into the go slow. It took years to write, but it was in those bursts of morning writing sessions that got the book done. You keep at it, and eventually you look up and you've written a book. Can I can I ask what you mean by the transition to real writer? What does it mean? What is real writer? Yeah, yeah. What was I saying? Then? You uh, meant something. Yeah. No, know? I was a real writer before, but I think there was something about um, feeling I could write all day, you know, if I needed to, or I could just hole up for the weekend and write. It was good in a way, but it was also less disciplined for me, you know. And I think that I honed my craft when I had that discipline. When I, you know, if you don't, I told, I always would say to my kids, I need, we need this fence around this playground because with the fence around the playground, you can really have fun and I'm not worried about you. But if you want me to take you to the park where you can run free, you're not gonna have fun because I'm gonna be like, where are you? Where are you? <laughs> and I feel like the writing was like that. Like for me, once I had that fence around it, I had that structure. I got to really play inside of it and tell myself, this is your morning time. This is all you get. This is your fence, but play. Yeah, that's how I thought about it. I love that idea of a fence around a playground. Yeah, yeah no, I have to say Playgrounds that... Playgrounds are terrifying, by the way. That's what? an aside. Your girls are terrifying? No, I found as, an, as a parent that playgrounds are terrifying. Oh, playgrounds are terrifying. That's just my issue. We put our son in really a really bright... Bright fluorescent jacket, so we don't lose him. You do what? He has a bright fluorescent jacket. Yeah, see? Techniques. Because they're terrifying. Yeah. It's my issue. It's your issue. Chaya, how do you prioritize? You do a lot. And you just finished, kind of finished your MFA. I was like listening to them, and I was like, oh shit, I'm that person who like has done nothing at all but be Except an MFA. Be and be a political activist. I stepped back a lot from like the activism, whatever. I don't, I don't even know. I, I've decided that I'm like pending the like, if there are babies at some point, I don't really know what would happen. But like, I'm just like the least structured person ever. Like I, my, I feel like I shape my life around having to do like less date. Like, like I stepped off of those like community organizing and like, the, the boards like and when I did I was like I'm resigning because I don't like email and they were like <laughs> no no really like what's going on can we use slack and I was like no I don't like want to communicate and we so, use slack yeah I was like I will kill you like I I, I really like I just started doing Blue Apron, which like is this environmental, like I'm just like, this is a disaster. And I live by myself and I don't have a partner. So I like eat the other meal for lunch <laughs> because I don't like to go to the grocery store. Like I, I just really don't want to go to the grocery store. That's funny. Um, and so if that's any indication of like 
my lack of ability to like have structures. Um, and so, but I, I still think that in the sense that I, I think I've gotten some shit done. So I'm always like, I'm going to just let go of this thing about how I'm doing this wrong. Um, like I just went to my first writing residency um, with my MFA cohort, like the program paid for it. It was really beautiful. Um, we went to Vermont for 10 days. And so then there's like all this pressure, like we're all there together around like, um, like process. And I, I found this like really harrowing and until toward the end when I let it go and I was just like, it's okay that like, I, I don't, I didn't even know. Like I felt, I was like, my brain disappears when people start to ask me how I do this because I think I have to like go into some kind of dissociative state to write or something. I don't really know. Um, no, really. Like people are like, oh, like, tell me about this. And I'm like, <laughs> I really like I, I I don't really know so and I also want to make the distinction because I was a journalist for a lot of years and that's not like totally over but it seems it seems different in terms of like I have a deadline in six hours which is just like I really actually I don't have a choice um that's what I, having kids is like yeah, I'm serious. That's it. but now you that I've like that. yeah I'm hoping like, now that I've worked on like what is almost a book manuscript and it's had to be like on my own time. Um, I guess I've just decided that um, like it's going to come out when, when, when it's going to come out. And I don't want to say that in like a lazy way, but I've been contending with like also that piece of advice that like is just somewhere ubiquitous in writing world that like you have to write for a certain amount of time every day or like have this ritual, which like I just don't <laughs> agree with. Um, you know, like I will sometimes go, um, aside from like journaling, which like I'm a psycho journaler, um, like if I haven't written something of value in my mind for like weeks, I might then go into like a three day long, like delirium of just, you know, producing. And I'm kind of just like, if that's, that's so far, process. that's fine. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't have anything structured to say about it. I, I feel like you do have an approach that I heard in there and it's it's about simplifying and you do prioritize because you simply you got rid of as much email right. noise as possible and you really sounds like you use blue apron in an efficient way and that you have it for two meals. I mean That's so funny. Works. You know what I mean? I'm still figuring out how to um what to do with the exact like I might have to stop. Do you guys oh, those things are huge. I've seen those. Yeah, yeah they're ridiculous. Yeah. They, they you, come yeah. with ice packs. They, they well, they deliver a box. Right. So now I have like forty. Like I don't. <laughs> I ice. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, they who, who needs? They need a system. Yeah. Actually, I just want to say when you said you journal a lot, like to me that is a structure is. that I can't. Exactly. I, yeah. So yeah. I actually really admire that structural part of. Mm -hmm. And I know that, you know, I, poor spouses are writers. What can I say? Yeah. I'm like, always, I was always lamenting about how long. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and my husband always has this one response. Rob's his name. And he just goes, it takes the time it takes. So zen. But, you know, what is, what like, does Rob do? Not writing. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, he was right, but it was annoying when he would say it, but it was also comforting at the same time because it just yeah. takes the time to take. Yeah. I love it. And I love that you guys could 
listen to each other's answers and point out, like, actually, this, I can't do that thing and you do this thing and we all do our different things, you know what I mean? Um, something that I noticed in each of your books uh, is I feel like a sense of home or figuring out home, not just in Go Home, <laughs> um, but a sense of home comes through the stories in each of these books and actually in the anthology Go Home, which is really amazing. Uh, I've, there are more than one writer in there I, I felt came to the conclusion that they didn't know what home was for them until they realized that language was their home Mm -hmm. and writing was Mm -hmm. their home. And they found home in, I think even the introduction by Viet Tan Nguyen is the same kind of idea of like writing in English for, for him became my home. So I wonder if you could speak to the idea of, of thinking about an idea of home in the context of your writing. Is that something that you think about an idea of home? belonging home whatever that means to you um yeah so the title of my book is actually from an emily dickinson poem um i which i really really close to my heart and i thought it was fascinating because there's a um, emily dickinson's obviously a famous hermit who never left home but she wrote a poem about like a never-ending journey toward home so mm-hmm. it it was it sort of spoke to me in um, the sense that it was always a journey. And even though you would think that she of everyone would feel at home, she also, um, for whatever reason, wrote a poem about seeking for a home. Mm-hmm. Um, and to to me, like for um, a lot of contributors to the anthology, as you pointed out, um, home isn't really a tangible, concrete thing. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, it's about creating conditions where you can um, create meaningful relationships with the people you care about. Um, And language for me is really, um, it's an uncomfortable relationship for many reasons. Um, I'll quickly summarize the chief is um, I write in English right now and it's it's weird for me because uh, English is not my native language, but um, my grandparents immigrated to British occupied Malaya and they both worked for British people. So my mm. grandfather was a cook for um, colonial soldiers, and my grandmother took care of British children. And they had to learn English to do their jobs, but nothing beyond that. Like, I never heard them speak English. Um, so for me, it's it's very weird, but I don't really have a language that I feel really truly belongs to me. So I've sort of just claimed English as mine and i think that's how we we make homes it's not necessary for a lot of us it's not what's handed to you it's what you make mm-hmm. um and i think that's what makes meaningful nice i think our other readers are saying ditto yeah <laughs> like, yeah. ditto to that um she did you did really say that very well um i think i'll just ask uh like one more question briefly so that we can get into that magic silver box and that is um you've each spent time clearly in countries that are not the united states and i wonder if you could speak a little to how that affects you or not as a writer your experiences in more than one country and how that comes across in your work and how you tell stories Hmm. good question I'm not going first. <laughs> um, I'll I'll start since my thesis slash 
hopefully soon book manuscript is about my time living in Bombay. Um, <laughs> um, I don't know if it affects a lot of what I've thought about while I've been working on this um, is rooted in my um, position as someone who's who's done a lot of work for social movements um, and like really thinking about like if I have the right to tell a certain story. So like talking about gender and patriarchy and class in Bombay as an American with like, um, even though we think that like caste privilege doesn't exist in the US, it does. So like, I don't know if it, um, I don't know if, I mean, that is, that is, that does affect the writing in the sense that it affect, it's affected like my subjectivity um, and just processing like who has, who is in a position or who has the right to like write certain things. Um, and it's been this like long process of me kind of being like, um, right. And, and it's a different positionality, but like with the go home thing um, and Jisoo and I were discussing this in the intermission, like, what does it mean to like write a story like that? Um, and these are, these are real people, even if their names are changed and what does that mean? Um, and that at some point you have to like free yourself and do the labor of, of like processing all of kind of these different, like where you're from, whatever that means, mm -hmm. like how your voice is shaped by all of your experiences. And now I'm like, I don't even know if I'm answering the question. Um, <laughs> but I wouldn't say that um, it's like affected my writing overall as much as, I mean, it, I guess, it, yeah, that is the writing, but like it's affected just your, like your worldview. Like I feel, and this goes back to the question of home, like, I don't know if all writers feel this way, but there's this kind of like itinerant or nomadic thing, even if it's just like in your brain, you're traveling, um, mm -hmm. just feeling like you can be in a lot of places at once. Mm -hmm. um, and I feel like that, I don't know, I just feel like writers, this is a generalization, think about things somewhat differently. It's like you can be in a place, but you're kind of encapsulating just this like kaleidoscope of experiences that you don't even know you're doing when you're doing it. I don't know. Is that is making sense? Yeah, I I totally agree with that. I think for me with this novel in particular, it was important to really examine the mythology of being African American and going back to the quote unquote homeland. And what does that mean? What does that look like? It felt necessary to interrogate that and to really sort of slay those little darlings mm. at the same time that I really allowed the character and therefore myself to really embrace what was resonant about being on African soil. There's no question that African Americans have this uh, sort of complicated relationship with a, a continent that they don't have any genuine connection to, but what else do we have? We can't really claim anything concretely, unless you're Alex Haley, and then it turned out he kind of made that up, and then, you know, it gets complicated. You know, yes, thanks to, to like, all this, this new test, Ancestry.com or whatever, people feel like they have some claim, but it's not really the same as someone from of Irish descent saying, I can trace back five generations. And I think 
that as coming to that as an African-American writer, I was thinking, well, you know, what can I claim? And what can I sort of speak honestly about? And one of the things I discovered was that I was so American. <laughs> you know, that's the thing that you, gets revealed when you go back, to, when you go to a place like that and you think, first of all, there are 55, at least 55 countries on the continent in Africa, so you can't generalize. But to go back and realize, whoa, I am so American. That was an invaluable lesson for me as a person, but also as a writer. And to just quickly add that one of the themes through this novel is about how you can, there are many ways to be black in the world. And that's not really talked about much in the culture and even amongst African Americans. I think as a writer, I needed to know that I had that liberty to imagine blackness however it is, you know? So, so yeah, it had a real sort of profound kind of um, revelatory sort of experience for me to tackle writing about the continent. Yeah. Yeah. Tell, <laughs> tell me about it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And you, you managed to get that, that, the bulk of that done in the bursts in the morning. Mm. It's amazing. It's the only time I have. Yeah. It's the only time you have. Yeah. You get so much done. Yeah. And there's little times. Okay, you guys. This has been amazing. Why well, you there's stuff in here. People yes, there are stuff in here. We have a magic silver box. And this is how we're going to decide who gets the first question. Okay? I'm tripping on my microphone wire. Okay, I'm thinking of a letter of the alphabet. You are each going to say a letter of the alphabet. Whoever's closest to my letter will get the question. YZ. <laughs> Hey. Chaya. Well, you can. You guys are like going right for the middle. I, I like it. Mm. Who wants to do some alphabet math here? We have <laughs> K, L, and C. And I was thinking of G. Oh, we have a tie. We have a tie. K and... So we should, we should do it like Price is Right style, right? Like, did it go over? So that would be Bridget. Oh, great. Okay. <laughs> great. And I really hate to do this to you, no, but I you think... Don't. No, I usually don't do such an embarrassing question, but in the interest of your oh. historical novel, the winner, the, the, the asker of this question will get... Yeah, feelings right now. <laughs> Um, a feminist oh. press pencil and this sword which you can keep and enjoy or trade at the bar for a drink. Oh. The drink sword. That's the question. I'm so sorry. You know who the, are you here? The person who did this? The question is, it's not a question, it's a demand. Oh. And it's, uh, I say you can do a portion if you want, but it says sing your favorite 80s song. Oh, no. Maybe tell us your favorite 80s song. You don't I have to sing. sing. You can just tell us your favorite song. I'll still give the prize out. Who asked this question? Kulik, that bitch. You're going to get an extra drink ticket and a pencil for telling us your favorite 80s song. Do you have one? 
Yeah. Yeah. Uh, which one Michael Jackson song? Oh, which Michael Jackson? No, let's see. I do like Beauty. Okay. But I think it's really Dirty Diana. Dirty Diana? Do you want to sing it, Barry? <laughs> Can you sing it? <laughs> <laughs> Everybody go home and look up Dirty Diana. And think okay. of... Okay. Oh, what? And then it? there's the way you oh. make me feel. Oh. The way you make me feel. Yeah. I was around. Remember historical novel? <laughs> <laughs> well, you are a sport for taking that first question, so you enjoy that pencil. Thank God that you didn't make me see. <laughs> <laughs> no, thank the oh. the audience is thanking you. They're like, thank you very much. Okay. We're gonna go on a similar theme here. I'm thinking this is just for YZ and Chai, this next one. Okay, so I'm thinking of That was too hard. Okay. I'm thinking, because I had to think too hard. I'm thinking of a number. This is really easy, because it's a number. But like an even number. <laughs> I was going to do prime numbers, and I didn't want to think that hard. I'm thinking of an even number between 2 and 20. Chaya. 12. Z 14. The answer is 2. Yes. <laughs> this one is for China. <laughs> All right. Whoever asked this question gets a fabulous prize from the feminist press. Could it be a pencil? <laughs> <laughs> is it maybe an orange pencil? Maybe two pencils. I'm gonna. No. To Galley, a Virginie Despence, who's, oh. I'm very bad at French pronunciation, <laughs> but this is amazing. I did not know until tonight that Feminist Press has published all English translations by this author. Hello. And an audiobook, Feminist Press. And just because I have it, <laughs> uh, a previous author who read here did some matches for her book. And you're going to get that, too. That's Hermione Hobie, by the way. Okay. Chaya. The question is, this is kind of crate. This is, oh wait, do I like this one? Yeah, okay. This is, this is kind of, it could be harsh. It could be harsh, but take it how you want it. What's the worst mistake you made as an author? Who asked this question? Oh, intense. We're getting intense. You like to win things that I bring from my house. She won mints from my house last time. Mints. <laughs> okay, no, no, no. I think I... I mean, this might not be what you're asking, but I'm going to answer it this way. Um, I guess, obviously, I've, as a journalist, I've worked in a number of places. Um, one of my biggest regrets is from the past few years and being staffed somewhere... Um, and letting um, the people who were in charge of me um, like convince me that I just basically like sucked and my ideas. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, like you work with all different kinds of people and they have like there's power issues, whatever. Um, yeah, just like letting myself go, like get far enough into that place where I was just like, I probably shouldn't be doing this. Um, yeah, just like 
not like letting my letting someone convince me that I, you know, shouldn't be like can't do this, um, or just like have a say over, um, even like someone telling you like if a piece is good or not. It's like, what does that mean? Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, probably allowing that to happen, and but I learned from it. So it's empowering that you know that you shouldn't let that happen. That you know that. So I think that's a it's good, yeah. right? I mean, I think it's like probably one of those things that like is lifelong. Like, probably like contend with it again when someone bigger and badder tells me that I suck at something. But like, it's I feel like what I noticed from that was this like challenge actually of realizing that if there's that like only you can decide if your stuff is good, yeah. which is like <laughs> <laughs> terrible. <laughs> yeah. But it's like freeing, but also terrible. So, yeah. That's a great answer. Way to take that question and run with it. Um, okay, this next question goes to YZ. You don't even need to guess anything. 15. <laughs> you are right. <laughs> All right. Um, the question is, and the win, oh, I'm sorry, I should just let you know, these are amazing. Check this out. It's a two-part tote pack from the feminist press. First we have a, a tote featuring Amethyst, uh, thank you, can help me there. Okay. <laughs> Amethyst Editions, which is the, um, the imprint, I guess, uh, that Michelle T is doing at Feminist Press. Amazing, lovely, love the colors. Nice, flattering. Um, and, this is adorable. You see, all right, first of all, you see the size of this tote? <laughs> Look what it says on the side. Feminist in training. <laughs> That's pretty cool. I like it. Okay, so, Wazzy, if you weren't a writer, what other profession would you be a, oh, you got this. No. What other person would, would you be slash what would you do? Who asked this? Yeah, you get some totes. You've been waiting to win, and you did it. <laughs> All right. YZ, YZ said she has the answer to this question, oh, so yeah. we have to give it to her. Yeah, I mean, you know, if you heard my bio, then it's like a one, two-word answer. So just to make it a little more interesting, I'll digress <laughs> so when i was growing up i actually wanted to be a dj and not this is like historical fiction territory not like that kind of dj but like the kind on radio they're like we have a caller dialing in like that kind of dj yeah you did too on their rotary phone yeah right i i really wanted to and i i don't know about you but for me it was because i was so lonely i was such a lonely kid so it's like Oh, so, you know, I can, like, bring comfort and, like, communication to people who don't have friends. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. Um, but I eventually realized that I am actually an introvert and, you know, not super eloquent, like, on the fly. Vague um, uh, to differ. <laughs> yeah, right. yeah, it's just, just not. Yeah. Also, I... Um, really disliked my voice uh, shortly after that i thought it was like really squeaky like whenever i answered the phone which is is the rotary dog phone by the way uh historical fiction um, people would be like are your mom and dad home because that's just what i sound like on the phone 
Um, so I like ditched that idea. Um, but yeah, so I do have a different profession. Um, I am a software engineer. Um, and I didn't start out that way. I actually started at my company as a um, support, like tech support person, kind of. Um, so I would answer emails from clients all day long, um, sometimes angry clients, sometimes very demanding clients. Um, and I switched roles a few times until I was a software engineer in my company. And I like it because of, um, especially in recent years, um, there's been a lot of reporting, as you know, about the gender imbalance in software mm. engineering. So I like mm. to think that I'm representing doing my part. So, yeah. And the actual work is also yeah, I, I enjoy it. I was um, telling someone recently that it is very, it's like a good contrast with writing mm. because with programming, you know when you're right or you're wrong. And in writing, as you say, only you can tell whether you're doing a good or bad job. That's very not, very uncertain. It can feel very much like I have no idea what I'm doing. So mm. the contrast helps me um, with a little bit of mental balance. That's great. Um, I do want to point out that when you were doing tech support and answering emails, you probably were offering comfort to lonely people. So, hello, DJ. Um, All right, we have one very quick lightning round for all three of you. It's just one question because we have one fabulous prize. It's very fast. We're going to bring it back around because we've heard this DJ thing. We've heard music from the 80s. And whoever asks this gets gift certificate to the Astoria Bookshop. Nice. Yay. Good for in-store purchase. Go check out that store. It's beautiful in Astoria. Off the which train stop? The, the W or the N to Broadway. All right, you guys. The fast one. What's your favorite current contemporary I guess like came out recently musical album what what that's amazing I kind of love that you didn't win a feminist press prize though because it's that makes so much sense yeah you're like you really want this then I want you to have it all right you guys do you who does anyone have a favorite current album or perhaps song. Maybe we don't I, listen to whole albums anymore. I wouldn't, except for my teenage kids. Oh. Who are really, my son especially, is really into the pentatonic. Yeah. And they have their like contemporary song album where they're doing all of these, like Ed Sheehan and everyone. Uh-huh. And it's been in Havana. You know that song, Havana? Yeah. Oh, you were singing just now. Yeah. And they to hear it, hear the pentatonics do that, like you know, all vocalies, you know, acapella. It's awesome. So that's my favorite one right now. Yeah. Um, I don't have a favorite album because along with my like, I can't go to the grocery store is also that like I just don't really live in the world and I don't have no idea what's going on. Um, no, it's true. I really don't. Helpful. Um. But I'm like, I can pick a song and say that like I'm into the Drake Max for what thing. But I think that's only because I also like live in another decade and, you know, he's going for Lauren Hill. So really, I just like Lauren Hill. I, when you said musical album, I was like, do you mean like Frozen? Like what? Like that kind of musical? Oh. So sad. 
I and my mind was blank because I really can't remember the last time I saw a musical. <laughs> but uh, okay, now that I know it's not musical, I would have to say Beach House because we're going to see a Beach House concert. I love them. Um, They're so in good the in fall. concert. Yeah, you did. Oh, amazing. Where are you going? Um, Bronx, right? I think so. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm I'm excited. <laughs> yeah, that was so much fun. That'll yeah. be great. Yeah. That's a really wide range of music. We had like Pentatonic, Drake, Slash Lauren Hill, Beach House. Yeah. yeah. That's like a crazy mix on the radio station. <laughs> only she's DJing. She's DJing. <laughs> you only find such diversity. In the borough of Queens. Yeah. <laughs> Just saying. Well, yeah. Frozen Yes was also Frozen. mentioned. It's really, really diverse answers up here. You guys, please, please, one more big round of applause for YZ Chin, Chaya Babu, Bridget Davis. That's today's show. If you like what you heard, tell a friend or leave a review wherever you found us. Special thanks to LIC Bar, the Astoria Bookshop, and our amazing intern, Nadine Santoro. A big thank you to our sponsors over the years, LIC Corner Cafe, Sweet Leaf Coffee, Court Square Diner, and The Gantry Restaurant. This episode was recorded by Carl Jacob and mixed and edited by Justin Alvarez. Our theme music is by Pat Irwin. The LIC Reading Series is made possible in part by the Queen's Council on the Arts with public funds from the New York City Department of Cultural Affairs in partnership with the City Council. I'm your host, Catherine Lasota, See you next time in Queens.